you got a kiddo from three years through third grade, and you want to send them out to Children's Church, Jennifer and Olivia up here to receive them. I'm guessing my kids are still in here. I don't know. Do you know still my children? There they are, one of them, two of them. My wife's out of town. She's coming back today, and so I'm just glad they're here this morning. It's one of those, one of those times. Man, I can't imagine being a single parent. For those of you who are, Lord bless you. It's hard, especially on a Sunday morning. But as they're making their way out, let me just uh, mention a couple, three books that have really helped me over the last few, several years, really, uh, just in the area of spiritual disciplines and specifically uh, stewardship. And so I mentioned these, I don't know how many of you would follow me in social media, but I mentioned all three of these there at the beginning of this month as I was ramping up to the series launching And so the first one is called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's been around 20 years. There's an updated copy. This is the old one. But Dr. Don Whitney, one of my professors many times in seminary, both degrees I uh, did there at Southern Seminary, wrote this book. And it's been a phenomenal help to me and so many other uh, thousands, if not millions of people who have read this book and been impacted by it. But he goes through all sorts of spiritual disciplines, one of those being the, the discipline of stewardship. And so that's been a big help to me even as I've prepared this month. Uh, Randy Alcorn, I've got two books here from him. Randy Alcorn is a former pastor, now author and, and speaker. But two of his books that uh, I want to mention is, first of all, The Treasure Principle. So guys, if you don't like to read, you can read this little guy. It's like 100 pages and little tiny pages. And so it's, it's a real simple read, but profound in its, in its truth. And then he's got a much larger book with very, very small print in it, and it takes longer to read. But it's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And so he really goes into a lot of stuff, a lot of details as it pertains to money, possessions, and the impact that those have on eternity. And so I would commend all three of these books to you uh, to go and buy. You can get them at the Christian Bookstore. You can get them on Amazon, christianbook.com. You could even come to me, and if you will give me a copy of your social security number and your banking account, you can borrow my copies as well. Because I don't trust you to bring them back, so I want to get my money and a little to boot if you don't bring it back. Take your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 12. We're going to conclude a series this morning that we've been working through this month, talking about how to live with palms up. And as you find in your place there in Mark chapter 12, let me just kind of share a story with you, a story that we do find In the Bible, there was a first century Jew one day who was walking alone in the heat of the afternoon. He had his staff in his hand. He's headed to a business meeting. His shoulders were beginning to stoop because he'd walked a long ways. It was hot that day, and so his sandals were covered with feet. His tunic was soaked with sweat, but he would not stop to rest because he had to keep an appointment for the business that was ahead of him in the city. And so as he needs to get there quickly, he begins to veer off the road into a field. He's going to take a shortcut. And back in those days, in biblical times, it was lawful to take a shortcut through someone else's property. The landowners did not mind that. They were permitted. Travelers were permitted this sort of courtesy. And so he's making his trip across the field. It's the shortcut. And the ground is because it is a field. It's uh, a crop field. It's uneven. And so his staff he's using to keep his balance. And so uh, one particular thrust into the dirt to keep his balance results in a thunk underneath. He's like, well, that's kind of strange. Why would it hit something? So he does it again, and he finds, figures out it doesn't feel like a rock. It doesn't feel like a, a stick or a limb. And so there's something under there, and his curiosity began to peak. 
So he begins to hit his staff into the ground over and over and over again. And finally, he sees a reflection of sunlight. There's some sort of reflection coming out from underneath the dirt. So this man drops to his knees and he begins to dig. And after a few minutes of digging with his fingers and using his staff, he uncovers a a fringed, golden-laden chest. By the looks of it, it it seems that this chest had been in the dirt for decades. And so with his heart racing, this man pries off the lock and opens the lid. And inside it, he finds all sorts of gold coins and jewelry and precious stones of every color. This was literally a treasure more valuable than anything he'd ever imagined. And so with his hands shaking, the traveler begins to inspect the coins. And he finds out that they were issued there in Rome some 70 years prior. Some wealthy man must have buried this treasure and suddenly left and perhaps died. And so the secret of the treasure's location died with him. And so he begins to look around and he doesn't see any homestead, doesn't see anyone's houses. But he knows that this land is owned by someone. But it's obvious that this landowner doesn't know that the treasure's there. Otherwise he wouldn't have left it there for so long. So he closes the lid, he buries the chest, he marks the spot, and rather than going on to his business appointment in the city, he turns tail and he heads back to his house. No longer is he stooped over, no longer is he concerned about the sweat on his brow, now he's leaping and and grinning like a young boy running out to play. The traveler says to himself, what an unbelievable discovery. I've got to have what I found. Uh, That's got to be mine, but I can't take it. That's stealing. I I can't take it from this land because it belongs to the landowner. It's on his land. And so how am I to get this? How am I going to afford this land if I was to buy it? And so he begins to think to himself and contemplate how he could acquire this land. He decides that he's going to go home and he's going to put his farm up for sale. And he's going to take his crops that are in the, in the bin. And he's going to sell them. He's going to sell his tools, his livestock. Anything that's not a child or his wife, he's going to get rid of to buy this land. That's what he does. He sells everything to buy this land. You see, from the moment that this traveler found this treasure, his life changes. The treasure captures his imagination. It becomes the stuff of his dreams. It's his reference point. It's his new center of gravity. This traveler takes every new step with this treasure in mind. He knows that he's never going to be the same because of what he found. There's a radical paradigm shift that takes place in his life. And and so we find this story summed up in one single verse by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Look with me on there on the screen. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field parable of the hidden treasure as we often refer to it is one of many references that Jesus made in his teachings with his disciples that are recorded for us in scripture about money and about possessions. In fact, 15% of everything that Christ said relates to the topic of money or your possessions. It's more than anything else that he said in his life, more than his teachings on heaven, more than his teachings on hell combined. He spoke more about money than anything else. Why would Jesus spend so much time teaching and speaking and warning of the dangers of money? I believe it's this reason right here that you'll see on the screen. Jesus spoke a lot about money because it says a lot about you. 
Jesus made a statement one day. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the thing about money and the thing about possessions is most often it is what identifies us. It is what tells others who we are and what we're about. So Jesus understood that money is oftentimes a window into a person's heart. So as we're concluding our series on stewardship, we're going to learn today from the Word of God that Jesus understood money to be a very profound area of a life. And we're going to see this morning that when we are confronted with the glory of Jesus and when we're confronted with the grace of Jesus, it's not going to just change the way we live and the way we serve. It's going to change the way we give. It's going to change our perspective and our use of the money and the possessions God has entrusted to us. You see, the story of our lives is told by how we live and what we do with what we have during this short time in this world. Stewardship, then, is something that we must correctly understand. we got to master what it means to be a steward of what God owns. And we've defined a steward. A steward is simply an estate manager. It's someone who, who manages the property of the master. And so we know that God is the master. He's the owner. He's the one who owns everything, and he's entrusted to you and to me certain aspects of that. So we are to steward what rightfully is God's possessions. So our biblical understanding of stewardship recognizes that God is the master and we are his stewards. And so if that is true, and it is true, just go ahead and look at your Bible. If that's true, then we need to take seriously the privilege and the responsibility that we've been given to manage what the Lord has entrusted to us, such as our time using it for His glory, using it for His blessings, and using it for the benefit of others. We need to take seriously the, the, the talents that we've been entrusted with and use them to serve others rather than serve ourselves. And we need to take seriously the treasure that God has entrusted with, using it for His glory and, and, and carrying it around and, and managing it with open hands rather than clenched fists. Yesterday, uh, I paid my debts to my two older daughters. We've uh, moved into a new system where we are uh, we're paying for their services, basically. We're trying to teach them how that you don't just get an allowance. You, you earn what you get, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but um, money just doesn't come in the mail for me. You've you got to work for it, right? You've got to put some labor to it. And so we're trying to teach our children. So if you'll get up and you'll uh, vacuum the floor or you'll clean the counters off, or you'll clean your room, you do the things that we ask you to do, there's some benefits for that. And so uh, this weekend, as Kara's been away to her mom's for a wedding, and I've had the girls doing the chores that she left for them to do. And so I settled the, the, the payment last night with them. And, uh, and so... A thought just went through my head. It's like, you know what? Here's a teaching time, not just to teach them the value of a dollar and how to earn dollars. They're not just welfare. We live it on this government system all the time. Here's an opportunity to teach them what I'm going to hopefully try to teach the church tomorrow, stewardship. And I told them, I said, you know what, babe? Because Haley was like, I got $12 now. She was like, so excited. I'm thinking, well, let's go down to the, uh, the, the, the restaurant. You could buy me lunch. But I thought, uh, man, you got $12, but you know what, what you know what, Haley? You, need, you owe the Lord 10% of that. So you need to, to count out $1.20 and give that to the Lord at church tomorrow. And she's, she kind of took a step back. What? And, and, and was very hesitant at first, but said, all right, I'll do that. I mean, and she kind of somewhat begrudgingly agreed to it. Hannah, on the other hand, she didn't have near as much money. She's like, I don't want to give anything. How about I give a penny? 
And I thought, hmm, uh, mm, okay, well, let's begin to, to talk about this. So I took him to the Bible, and I just were there with, Hannah didn't really want to pay attention, but Haley was all tuned in. And so I took her to Malachi 3, and where Malachi, the prophet, is speaking on behalf of the Lord. It says, you're robbing God by not giving the, the tithe and the offering, bringing it into the storehouse. And, and so I just took the Word of God, and I laid it out before them and, and tried to help them understand that we... Honor God by being a steward of what he's entrusted to us. We need to take this seriously and responsibly in our lives. So we've learned that when Jesus gets a hold of our hearts, it does change the way we live. And it changes the way we serve. But I think that we could all agree this morning that this third area is a little bit more difficult for us to let go. It's the money thing. It's a little bit more difficult for us to let go of our treasures than perhaps our time and our talents even though we want to hold on to those as well. But for some reason, this is more difficult for us in our lives. Perhaps that's why the Bible devotes twice as many verses to money than it does to faith and prayer combined. And so it's not just the words of Jesus, it's the entire Bible that speaks extensively about how we use our money and our possessions. And so I'm sure that is why Jesus taught so extensively to his disciples about it. You see, your stewardship and my stewardship over the money and possessions that's been entrusted to us, it really becomes a story of our lives. So this morning, will the story of your life, will the story your life tells describe a life lived for the money in your pocket and things that won't last? Or will it describe a life lived for a treasure that satisfies like gold never can? What's the story of your life? What will it say at the end when it all comes to a conclusion? What we find here in Mark chapter 12 is a woman who understands what it means to be a steward. Here we find Jesus speaking to this subject. And so if you would just look with me in, there in verse 41. Mark chapter 12 verse 41 it says, And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting, in, putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Her name was Hannah. <laughs> I don't know how many of you would get that. I'm kidding. Verse 43, and he calls his, called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray this morning that you take the words from this story of how you sat there and observed what people were putting into the temple treasury. And God, I pray that you would take... This lady's sacrifice and this lady's uh, faithfulness and this lady's willingness to trust you with the most precious thing in her life. And God, I pray that you would speak to us and sear upon our hearts a desire to be pleasing to you. And God, I pray that we'd be able to truly say that we're living our lives with our palms up in adoration and in honor and in worship of your great name. And as a result, Father, may we hold the things of this world loosely. For we are simply passing through, and these are not our things, they're your things, and you've entrusted us with them. And so, Lord, teach us this morning, and give us open hearts and open minds to receive your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You think about the teaching and the extensive teaching in the Bible regarding this area, this subject, 
uh, something I want us to understand this morning. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and how we handle our money. And so this morning, if you're thinking, and maybe this is your mindset, well, I don't understand why the preachers of, the, of today have to s- speak so extensively about this subject. I would argue that we don't speak enough about it, right? The typical preacher is scared to deal with this subject. It's always one of those uh, uneasy areas of the Scripture. But if Jesus spent so much time on it, we need to speak, spend some time on it as well. And so there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and how we handle money. So we may try to divorce our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. So when we, however, come face to face with the glory of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, it's going to change the way we view and that way we give and the way we think about money. So we begin to see it's not a something to live for, but something to give away. It's something that God has entrusted with to us so that we can leverage for kingdom purposes. So when I live with my palms up, it changes the way I give. And I want to share with you And I'm not going to say it quickly, but I want to share with you three ways that it's going to change the way I give. First thing it's going to do, it's going to change me by leading me to a place where I begin to choose to give obediently. I'm going to choose to give obediently. If you look back here in this text, this poor widow comes and she gives an offering, or really she, she's given a tithe here, or and more than a tithe, more than likely, because Jesus says she gave all that she had. She gives two small copper coins, but it's everything that she had, and she does it obediently. This poor woman gave all that she had to the Lord, and he knew what she gave because he was intently watching. That's this parenthetical here. We need to keep in mind that Jesus is deliberately watching what you give. It wasn't by happenstance, it wasn't by freak accident, it wasn't by coincidence that Jesus was sitting outside the treasury that day and just happened to glance over and see this woman. Because he didn't just see her, he saw what everyone else was putting in because they were putting in what the Bible says is large sums of money. And so we would think that Jesus would be impressed with their gift, but he's not impressed with their gift, he's impressed with a woman who gave only two coins. He's watching, he's deliberately, intently peering in into your life. So this woman puts this small amount into the temple offering box. A penny was worth one sixty-fourth of a denarius or a day's wage. And so she gives one thirty-second of a day's wage. Basically, she gave a couple pennies in today's vernacular. Such a small gift, but the money was all that she had. And so as Jesus was watching her put the coins in the box, he calls his disciples together and he says, Boys, I want you to gather around. I want you to see what this lady just did. And I want you to understand why she did it. He begins to teach them a lesson. He didn't question the woman's gift like we may perhaps today. Instead, what the Lord did is he commended it. And he set her up as a model for them to follow. And she's a model for us to follow even in the 21st century. This widow gave obediently, even though conventional wisdom would have told her not to. You see, what conventional wisdom would have told this lady is, is this. I I understand your heart, and I understand you want to give. I understand that you wish you could give, but, but man, you can't give. You've only got two cents. That's not even enough to get a cup of coffee down at the sheets. You need to, to keep what you have, and hopefully you can gather a little bit more, and maybe you can have enough money by the end of the day or the end of the week to buy some food. God understands your heart. God knows your desire to honor Him. God understands and He will, uh, he will forgive. He will look past you not giving at all. 
God knows your needs, and God knows that you need to keep this money to provide for your needs. He understands why you can't, listen to this, afford to give. God understands that. And so keep the money for yourself. That's conventional wisdom. But Jesus doesn't commend her for having conventional wisdom. Jesus commends her for being obedient. There's a big difference between conventional wisdom and obedience. God tells her to do something, and she goes and does it. So the problem with conventional wisdom is that it contradicts the very word of God. It does not take into consideration that God is owed first before anyone else. I, I, I've, I've come to be able to, I've kind of morphed in my um, preaching and understanding of this, that it's no longer giving the tithe. I really believe, as I've studied this in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, that we owe God 10%. It is His. It's not me offering it to Him. It is owed Him. And so if I don't do that, I'm in sin. The same would be for you. And so this woman understood, I've got to bring this to the Lord. I've got to be obedient to the Word of God, despite what my circumstances may tell me. So she understood it was owed first and foremost to the Lord. As we look in the Old Testament law, we see there that it commanded God's people to give a tithe, to give a tenth. That's what the tithe is in Hebrew. It means a ten percent of whatever. And so they were to tithe of everything from the land. In that agrarian society, everything that they possess everything that they got from income came from the land so the people were to give God not just a tenth of their income but they were also to give the first tenth of their income it wasn't God I'm going to give you 10 percent at the end of the month no God I'm going to give you 10 percent at the beginning of the month because it speaks of how prominent you are in my life and how dependent upon you I am in my life it tells me and it speaks of me of how I worth I, I, I ascribe worth to you you're going to be my first you're going to be my best and I'm going to give you everything and so they were to give the tenth and the first tenth that is they're giving recognize that all good things come from the Lord. I've heard over the years so many Christians argue against this, this concept of tithing. They claim that, the, 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 that what we're speaking of here is the tithe, is Old Testament, it's Old Covenant. Jesus has passed that, and, and we're living in the age of grace, and, and, and you don't see the word tithe used in the New Testament. But what we find in the Old Testament is that the law didn't just require 10%. The law actually required three different tithes. But they never bring that into the conversation when they're arguing this point. You see, there were three or two perpetual offerings, or, or I should say tithes, that were required. One was for the Levitical priests, one was for the uh, sac sacred festivals, and then there was a third tithe that was required for the people to give every third year, and that was to go toward the poor in the land. And so, really, an annual tithe for a typical Jew would have been 23% of what God had given them. So if God gave them, let's just say, 100 bushels of corn off their land that year, they were to give 23 bushels back to the Lord through his temple, through his tabernacle. So they repaid the owner of all things. On top of that, what we see in the Old Testament is, a, is there was an emphasis upon free will offerings. And so the Old Testament doesn't say just give the tithe or give these three tithes. No, it emphasized voluntary giving. We see uh, situations like this where they were giving of what they had to construct the tabernacle or to rebuild the temple and all, so, all sorts of other places. But those were free will offerings offered to the Lord 
as God led them to give. And so there's an emphasis upon giving the tenth, but above and beyond the tenth as well in the Old Testament. So we learn then that the tenth was never to be a ceiling for giving, but only a floor. But the ones who will argue against tithing in the New Testament age would say that we want to work up to the tenth. No, the Bible would tell us that we start at the tenth, it's the ground floor, and from there we begin to build in our giving to the Lord and to the Lord's work. We start with the tithe and we move up from there. It's a beginning point for God's people in the Old Testament. And I believe it's equally true of those of us today in the New Testament era and beyond. So nowhere in the New Testament are we told that tithing has been superseded. In fact, Matthew 23, 23, Jesus seems to affirm the tithing in the days of the church. Top of that, like many of the Old Testament teachings, Jesus in the New Testament expanded it for the people of God. I mean, Jesus says if you have anger in your heart toward others, it's like murder. Jesus says if you lust for a woman in your, heart, in your thoughts and in your heart, it's like adultery. So Jesus is, is not, he's not ceasing what the teaching of the law was in those areas. No, he's expanding it and, and bringing it to, an, to its full ramification. And I believe he did the same in the area of our giving. So we also learn from church history that all of the prominent early church fathers understood that tithing was a requirement for godly Christian living. Somehow we forgot that into the, in the modern evangelical church. And so the tithe is not the finish line of, line of giving, it's really the starting blocks. It is God's historical method to get people on the path of giving. So that we begin to trust Him more and more and more. So why did this poor widow give those two copper coins to the Lord when she could not afford to do so? She gave them because God told her to. And she was simply being obedient. The woman gave them, listen to this, because she could not afford not to give. And I understand the struggle within your heart. I understand the struggle within your budget. You look at what you love to give, and you think, man, I got too much money. Or I got too much month for my money, and I can't afford to give. I would tell you, you can't afford not to give. I mean, Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10 that I was taking my daughter through last night tells us that if we'll just test God, He'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour blessing until there is no more need. So let's just simply trust Him and stop robbing what is rightfully His. Disobeying the Lord's command would have put this woman in a much more dangerous position than not having any money. So she gave because she lived her life with her palms up. And when you live that way, you will give obediently. There's a second area that I want you to see this morning. That's this. I will choose to give obediently. I will secondly choose to give faithfully. Faithfully. You see, in making much of this woman's gift, Jesus told his disciples that she gave everything that she had to the Lord. What she did absolutely thrilled his heart. Because she did it in faith. And that's how we're to live our life. Paul said in Romans chapter 14 that anything that's not, of a, that's not of faith is sin. So we're to live our lives trusting and believing and, and, and placing our lives upon him. In other words, if he doesn't come through for us, we're ruined. That's how we're to live our lives. Mark here doesn't tell us why the widow gave all that she had to the Lord. 
but it would seem that what she gave goes far beyond what was required. So if she was on to give a tithe, that would have been 10% of what she had. So I suppose she should have given much less. But apparently, she must have sensed in her heart that the Lord wanted her to give that specific amount above and beyond what was required by the law. And so in doing so, she gave in faith, trusting the Lord to take care of her. Jesus says, boys, I want you to look at this. This woman gave all that she had. This morning, if you gave everything that you have to the Lord, how would that make you feel? We'd be sweating like crazy, right? We're thinking, boy, I just hope to get home because if the car breaks down, I don't have any idea how I'm going to pay for it. I hope I don't run out of gas because I'm going to be walking the rest of the way. I can't even have, don't even have money to get it towed. We would be sweating bullets. And, and yet we don't see Mark describing this woman with that sort of anxiety in her life at all. She gives it, and she gives it faithfully. She trusted the Lord. She gave in faith. And that's what the Lord expects from us. I mean, think, I want you to, just real quickly, just think through your giving this year through this local church. Think about what you've given. Think about how you've given. Think about when you've given. What, what does your giving record look like? Here's a question I want you to think about. How much of your giving can be described as faith giving? In other words, how much of it can be explained only by the supernatural work of God? Did God put, a, put a something in your heart that, that, that you just said, that, that can't be of the Lord? Because there's no possible way I could afford to give that much. And so you chose not to. Which means this, you chose not to believe God when he told you to do something. Which you're doing two things wrong. You're not living in faith and you're being disobedient. So how much of your giving can be explained by the supernatural work of God? How much is better explained by logic and calculated planning? And I'm not against logic and I'm not against calculated planning. We need to do that. Strategy is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But we never need to divorce strategy and calculated planning from faithfulness in our life. This week I was listening to one of my favorite, favorite preachers preach. And I heard him tell a story about a member and a family in his church. And he shared this little story. He said this. I, he, he said there was a lady in their church who really began to sense the Lord telling her that her and her husband need to give a, a certain amount to an offering, a faith promise offering that they do at their church. And so the, the number she wrestled with, because it was a number that they could not afford. She didn't have that kind of money just on hand. So she went to her husband and said, honey, I really sense the Lord wants us to give to this offering and, and do something real sacrificial, but I, I'm struggling with it. And, and the, Lord, the number the Lord put in my heart, I, I just don't know how we would do that. So would you take some time and, and pray through this? And I don't want to tell you the number because I don't want to influence you, but you take some time and you pray through this and, and we'll just kind of compare what we believe the Lord's leading us to do. And so the man did it and he came back to his wife after a few days and said, Honey, I hope the number the Lord gave you is a whole lot less than the number the Lord gave me because we don't have the money to do this. We don't have this much cash on hand. What do you think the number was? Same, right? Same number. So they just began to say, Lord, you've put it into both of our hearts. You've, you've affirmed it. Right? You've confirmed what, you, what we need to do. And so we're going to be obedient. We're going to be faithful. And so we're, we're going to make our pledge. And so it's one of those offerings where you're not actually writing the check that day, but you're making a pledge. And so they pledge this money to this faith promise offering. And a couple days later, after making this commitment, putting their yes on the table, a couple days later, this wife is cleaning out a closet and their 
business office and somewhere back in the back of the closet she found a bag of money. Bag of money that she had put back there for I don't know what reason, but she had placed it back there a few years before and forgotten all about it. So she pulls this bag out, opens it, and there's all kinds of, I don't know, precious stones and stones and gems. That's probably highlighting the, the story a little bit more than it should be, but all kinds of money in this bag. And, and she began to count it, and it came to the exact amount that they'd pledged, the exact amount the Lord had put in their hearts. And so she just, her and her husband were just simply stepping out in faith and saying, God, we don't know how we're going to do it. We don't know how it's going to come to us, but we're saying, sensing that you're leading us to do something. So our yes is on the table. We're going to be obedient because you're leading us to walk in faith. It was the exact amount of money that God told him to give, and he provided it. And that just takes me back to a principle that I've known for years. That is, when God, where God guides, he always provides. It doesn't matter what it is in your life. If you just simply step out and trust Him and what He's telling you to do, He will provide it. Remember, it's not yours to begin with. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. He controls it all. He calms the storms of our life. He controls the, the, the planets that are revolving around the sun. He's in control of all of that. This widow here, going back to Mark 12, she gave faithfully to God because she believed God would provide for her needs. So she brought it all. The Lord said, bring it all. She brings it all. She says, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to even provide for my family as I go home. I don't know how I'm going to provide for whatever I have, but I'm just trusting you. I'm believing by faith. And this was the very safest thing that she could do. Johnny Hunt, one of my mentors, made this statement. He says, people that are not willing to trust God to do the impossible will not trust, trust God to go beyond the brink of the Jordan. They'll never know the promised land or victorious Christian living. They will live with conventional wisdom. I mean, think about what he's saying there. If we don't have the ability to trust God past what we can see, we will never do anything that God's calling us and leading us to do. God's calling, leading the people of Israel to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. But they could have easily said, no, we're more comfortable for this 40 years that we've been wandering around the desert. Uh, we're, we, we, we understand the desert. We like the desert. We don't like the desert, but we're, we're okay with the desert because we've become uh, acclimated to it. And so we don't know what's awaiting us over the Jordan necessarily. We've heard there's this big city called Jericho with huge walls. We don't even know how we would take that down. Lord, we'll just stay over here. But that's not what they did. They trusted God and walked across the river. We have to be faithful and trust God with what does not make sense. And so a life that's lived with palms up is not a life lived by conventional wisdom. It is a life that believes God for the impossible. It believes God will make a way where there seems to be no way. It is a life lived faithfully. There's a third area. That will be transformed. That is, I will choose to give joyfully. I will choose to give joyfully. So obediently, faithfully, and joyfully. Well, Pastor, why would you bring this point into this discussion? I don't see anything in this passage about joy. How do you think this woman's expression was as she brought that offering to the Lord that day? Just spiritual imagination here. Let's, let's think through this. What do you think her persona was as she came to the temple that day to give an offering and a tithe to the Lord. You think she had the same expression some of you have when the offering plate's passed? And I don't think you grimace. I just think you, you I think some of you act like it's not there. You know, I don't really look. I, I'm facing this way. I don't know. But you must not know that it's coming across. And so you're just kind of, whoa, what's that? Uh, 
I didn't know that was coming. You just kind of sitting there with hands in your pockets. That the way this woman was? No, she came purposefully to give. And she came joyfully to give. I think she had a grin across her face a mile wide. I think she might have came in skipping and jumping like a little girl, just excited about what she had to do. The Lord had put something in her heart. She just had determined, I'm going to be obedient. The Lord had said, you need to do this. She says, Lord, I'm going to be faithful. And so she came joyfully to give that day. You see, conversion and the feeling of the Spirit of God in our life are supernatural experiences that will produce supernatural responses. And when you are filled with the Spirit, there is joy. And this woman who obeyed God that day was filled with joy. This widow had experienced the supernaturally calling of God. And I can't even imagine her not coming to the temple that day with the hugest, biggest, or as our president would say, a bigly smile. She's excited, man. Just excited to get involved in what God was doing. Excited to give back and ascribe worth to the Lord in her life and how he had been faithful. And so she gave joyfully. See, she saw her gift as a way to ascribe worth to the Lord. And she saw it as a way to bless others in their lives. And when you view giving from that perspective, you can't help but get excited about giving. I, I hate the fact that in a lot of churches, the offering is like put aside in, our, in the worship service. It's kind of marginalized in the service. There's no excitement in the service. I think we need to do a better job here in, in how we raise the expectation and the, in the uh, anticipation of the offering. I mean, we need to be joyful about it. Give hilariously to the Lord because of what He's given to us. Changes the way I give. On the wall of the president... President Lyndon Johnson's White House office, years and years ago, hung a framed letter. It was written by General Sam Houston. You know who Sam Houston was. General Sam Houston led the Texans against the, in the revolution against Mexico and freed them and, and, and gave them independence. I think he became the first president of Texas before they were, uh, came into the Union themselves. But Sam, General Sam Houston um, wrote this letter. To Lyndon Johnson's great-grandfather, George W. Baines, more than a hundred years earlier. Baines had led, the, had led Houston to Christ, and the general was, as history tells us, a changed man. He, he no longer was this uh, cantankerous, belligerent, coarse man, but now, because of Christ, he was a peaceful and content man. After General Houston was baptized, uh, which was an incredible event, history tells us, because of who he was before, he offered to pay the local minister's salary, or half of the local minister's salary. And so when some people heard that he had offered to pay the pastor's salary, some folks came and said, General Houston, why in the world would you do such a thing? Why would you offer to pay this man's salary? I mean, the church can do that. That's not your responsibility. And General Houston responded and said this, when I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I followed him in believer's baptism, my pocketbook was baptized too. I think that's a good statement. My pocketbook was baptized too. You see, when you were baptized into Christ, the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, was our pocketbook also baptized? 
You see, so many in our churches give nothing to the Lord. What we're seeing in, in America today is this trend that's been going on for years and years is that we're giving less and less and less to the Lord, which is, well, this is what that means. It doesn't, who cares about big buildings and big campuses and big salaries? Who cares about that? But what it's doing is it's impacting our ability to take the gospel cross-culturally. It's impacting our ability or the lack of ability to fund missionaries to put them on to the mission field. So we're seeing this trend in giving that is going down. Some people, many people give absolutely nothing to the things of God. Many only give occasionally to the things of God. And even in our own church, we have people who never give a dime. Covenant members in our church who never give a dime to this church. Two things. First thing is really not that important when it comes to the second thing. But first thing, you're out of... A fellowship with our church because you're, uh, you're, you're operating uh, in contradiction to the covenant membership of our church, that you would financially support the ministries of our church. Number two, and the overarching aspect of it is you're out of fellowship with the Lord because you're living in disobedience and sin. But you'll give nothing to the things of the Lord. And some others in our church will give occasionally. You'll give to token things or maybe a special offering. But you're not tithing to the Lord. You're not giving back to the Lord the first tenth, which is His anyway. And and then on top of that, you're not giving above and beyond that as the Lord directs you. And so the Bible clearly teaches that the tithe is the Lord. It's intended to train us. To put God first in our lives. It's a duty. Think, of, think about this. Tithing is a duty that can become a delight that can lead into joyful, voluntary giving. This morning, I, I, it really doesn't matter if you give your tithe with a grimace. If you'll just give it. If you'll just say, Lord Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know Really, if I want to do this, but I'm going to be obedient in this area. And even maybe kicking and screaming, I'm going to be obedient in this area. If you'll do that long enough out of a duty, it will become a delight in your life. You agree? If you don't agree, I don't care (laughs) because it's true. (laughs) It's true. So we're not giving a, a tithe. We're paying a tithe. It's the Lord's and he will get it one way or the other. So if you're in a relationship with Jesus, the first tenth is his. And it ought to be given to the local church to fund the budgetary needs of that church. I, I really, this is, this is just me as a pastor speaking, I, I really think it's dangerous that when we start designating everything, we don't have a big problem with that here. I've pastored churches where if they got mad at me or someone else in the church, they started designating so they could kind of control things. That's not in the way it should be. You should bring it to the Lord and say, it's, it's yours, Lord. Here it is. I trust the Lord with it. I trust His church with it. And so you just give it to the Lord. The tenth is His. If you want to give above me on that to, to, to token areas and, and ministries, that's your choosing to do. But that first tenth belongs to the Lord. It should go to the budgetary needs of the local church, which a part of that we take and we send it to our national denomination, and that goes to help fund our some 5,000 missionaries overseas. It helps fund what we do here locally and continentally through our mission efforts. And all the things that we do as Southern Baptists, it all goes to fund cooperatively the work of the ministry. And let me give you three applications, and we'll close shop this morning. Three practical applications from this woman's example. First of all, obey God completely. And leave the consequences to him. I believe that's what we see in this woman. She obeyed God. She didn't know what was going to happen. She just says, Lord, I'm going to leave it all to you. I'm going to be obedient. 
And so this morning, if you're struggling with this thing, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Just be obedient and leave the consequences up to him. I don't know why I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. When I was pastoring in Kentucky, right out of seminary, I was pastored for three years. And we really just sensed the Lord had taken us, or led us to take that church as far as we could take them. And so he released us to, uh, to, to, to just whatever the Lord had for us next. And so I got a call one day from a church in Alabama and uh, ended up going there. And uh, Kara was working a really good job and, and, you know, we didn't have kids at the time. And so she made all the money. I didn't make any money hardly at all. Basically, they, they paid me a housing thing. They gave us a house to live in and a couple um, I think some of the folks fed us in vegetables quite a bit, and that's kind of how we lived. The Lord provided. Ravens came and dropped food off at the, in the yard. But we decided we'd pick up and, and go to Alabama, and I was going to pastor a church down there in Sheffield, and, and on paper it didn't make any sense because she made such good money and, and uh, where she worked in South Indiana that on paper we wouldn't make it. But we go down to Alabama, and somehow for two and a half years at on, leading that church, we made it every single day, and she didn't work. That's how we didn't, that's why I didn't make any money, because we were starting a family, and she decided, we decided that she's going to stay home and raise our children at home, and so we were going to live off one salary, which wasn't a whole lot, but God provided us every single step of the way. Then we left that church and went across town to a larger church, and my salary didn't change much, and so there wasn't a whole lot of um, fluctuation from that standpoint. It's actually a better opportunity, because insurance and all that stuff. So God provided and gave us more from that standpoint. And then one day, we just felt the Lord was leading us away there. It was time to move back to the pastorate. And I got a call from a guy in Powhatan, Virginia. And I never heard of Powhatan, Virginia. I barely heard of Powhatan. I knew that was some sort of Indian thing. Was it? No, I'd seen it on a Disney movie. So we, uh, we sensed the Lord leading us coming here and one of the last things you do in a pastor search is you talk finances. You, they kind of lay out a package, and we kind of go back and forth. So, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if we can do that. What about this? And so we negotiated, and still, on paper, it didn't make any sense. In the red, 500 every month. $500 in the red. We don't know how it's going to come. But we sensed the Lord leading us. We came to Powhatan, Virginia. And I can tell you, for almost two years now, the Lord has provided every single month the deficit that we have. Every single month. Now, some of the times that he's provided that money is because some of your loved ones went to be with the Lord, and that was an honorarium. It's amazing to me. There was one particular month that we really were in a hole. Just, you know, doctor's things, things come up, and, and we're just like, Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen. We're going to continue to be faithful because tithing is not an option in our home. It's not an option. It's the first tenth. And so we just say the rest of the month's going to have to work itself out. We're going to give this first to the Lord, but that puts everything else in a bind sometimes. And there was one particular month that uh, it, on paper, it really wasn't going to work out. It was more than 500. And a couple of different things happened, and one of those was a funeral. And we had more than we needed for that month because of that. It's just simple faith, simple trusting the Lord. I don't know why I'm sharing that with you. Maybe it'll be an encouragement to you just to trust God in all things. But um, my life's not my life. It's his life. My money's not my money. It's his money. My future's not my future. It's his future. My children are not my children, they're his children. My, whatever it is you want to put in the blank there, it's not mine, it's his. And so I've just decided in my life, as best as I can, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to have joy in the whole thing. I hope that's true of you this morning. Father, we thank you today for this example that we have from this poor widow woman. 
God, I know it must have been a, a quiet a scene because it got your attention. Lord, we would want to, as humans, we wouldn't want to harp on those or, or make a big deal of those who were given the large sums of money. In fact, I, I bet there's some churches in Massachusetts today that were just hoping that the lady that won the lottery comes to their church. But God, if that was the person given that day, you wouldn't take notice necessarily. If it's not done with the right heart and with obedience and with faith, God, it, it doesn't, doesn't please your heart at all. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. As we seek to be good stewards of all that you've entrusted, may we live with palms up. God, understanding that you're, the, you're our God and you're our Savior and you're our Lord. And as such, we have been changed. Our lives have been changed by the, by the blood of Jesus. And it changes the way we serve and how we view the things of this world. It's no longer my time. It's I'm on God's time. It's no longer my talents and my abilities. I, I want to use them for your glory. I want to leverage them to be a blessing to others. It's no longer... My money and my possessions, it's all yours. and I'm also going to leverage them for kingdom purposes. And there may be times, and God, there's probably people sitting right now in, our, in this room here, this worship center, who have more month than money. And they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. And because they don't know how they're going to make ends meet, they've been cheating and robbing you, thinking that they can rob Peter to pay Paul. But, Lord, it never works that way in your economy. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to be faithful and obedient. And just say, Lord, I don't know how. I can't explain how it's going to happen, but I just trust you. I'm going to be obedient in this area of my life. I'm going to start with a tenth. I'm going to allow you to grow me from there. No longer is it going to be an option. It's going to be concrete. But the first 10% is the Lord's. And I pray you grow us in that area leaps and bounds. As we start a new church year, this was my prayer this morning. God, I'm going to pray it again. As we start a new church year next week, I pray this will be one of the greatest, if not the greatest giving year of our church because we have learned to be stewards. God, help us to be obedient, faithful, and to rejoice in all that we do. This morning, the reason some give is because they may not be in relationship with you. And so I pray this morning that the lost would be saved. God, maybe their stinginess and their uh, cheatful heart would become apparent and they would realize that the greatest need in their life is to get saved. Father, for Christians that are walking at a guilty distance because they're robbing you or for whatever reason, Lord, I pray they'd get right. Lord, I pray that imitation wouldn't be a time where we stand and hope that this can get over, but this would be a time where we say, Lord, I want to get right with you. So Holy Spirit, would you lead us and may we be responsive. In Jesus' name, amen.